bit. Um, but we're super excited to see all of you here. Uh, definitely a glorious day that God has put together for us today. Let's go ahead and turn our attention towards him as we open our worship today.
call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, where I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. stand before the throne with the witnesses who have gone before we will rise and all applaud singing blessing and honor and glory and power forever to our God singing blessing and honor
Will you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this glorious day you've given us to come together and worship you, Lord. And we thank you for all the many blessings that you pour out upon us. And the reminder that everything responds to your will. The glorious day that we have, the sunshine, the nice cool air. Uh, the reminder that spring is coming soon. Hopefully, maybe, we'll see. Um, this is Texas after all. But again, Lord, we just thank you for all the many blessings that you pour out upon us, Lord. We do want to take a moment to just turn to you in silent prayer, Lord. Um, help us clear our minds. Help us remove all the distractions, the things that are holding us back from seeing you today, Lord. We ask that you enter into those situations and just clear the way so that we can focus on you today. So again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time you've given us to come together. We thank you for this place that you've built for us to gather in your name. And most importantly, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. It's in his holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen. One, two, one. Let's again. One, two.
wonderful. Please be seated. <laughs> I have a scripture to read once I figure out what page it's on. <laughs> um, that was a wonderful song. And there's a there's a dancer in the back of the room that has actually lifted my soul. Uh, <laughs> so thank you. Um, I'm going to read this morning uh, from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth
Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. Father God, open our eyes and our ears this morning. Open our hearts. Let us be your instruments of your mercy and your love to a lost and hurting world. Thank you for Hope Church and all that you've done through us and to us in this difficult year. And may, in the year coming ahead, you do even more. And Father God, we ask you to be with Tom as he brings your word to us this morning. Father God, lift, uh, lift our hearts. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good. Welcome to Hope. It's good to have you with us, however you managed to do that today. Um, we are... Uh, Glad that you are with us in whatever capacity that may be. Hi, Esther. How's your hand? Good? All right. I love it. It got surgery? Well, we're glad that God fixed it. All right. Um, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to communicate with us on this little card and drop it in the bucket on your way out. Or uh, send us an email through our website, and we would love to hear about what's going on in your life and how we can be in prayer with you and for you in these times. Um, several things going on around here. First of all, we have our Hope for Kids printable. Um, just This will come to you via email every week. These are really cool. If you will save them and print them out, you will have... Basically, by the end of this series, a, a Bible overview of activities for your kids. Uh, it's kind of a really a cool resource and uh, something that, that uh, we've started doing during COVID. I say we. Do you like how I say we, Jen? We have started doing the kids printable. Yes, I do, actually. Um, but uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about... Um, You've been able to you know, have an activity with your kids and talk about it uh, over a meal or whenever. Um, and then along with this, we are encouraging folks to read through portions of Scripture every week. And we are realists here at Hope. We're also optimists, but we're realists. And we realize you're probably not, you might, but you're probably not going to try to read through the whole Bible in six months or five and a half months, or however long this series is. So we have, we have excerpted some of the key passages and chapters out of each section of Scripture that we're going to be uh, reviewing every week during this series, and you are encouraged to, uh, you'll receive those by um, 
you'll see, receive the whole plan by email, and then you'll receive a daily reminder on, on Sunday and weekdays uh, for the reading plan. And encourage you just to keep up, follow along, and in keeping with that, we have a Tuesday night Zoom Bible study uh, that was very well attended this past week. It would have been a great week for your pastor to break out the group into two groups, but he's not smart enough. He's not Zoom smart enough to do that. Um, so we may try that again this week, um, but encourage you. So th- here's the great thing about the Zoom Bible study, the way it's set up right now, is if you missed last week, you can still jump on Tuesday night. We're in a different book of the Bible. Um, so we'll be following along with the sermon series. We will talk a little bit about uh, what we read in Genesis after the Tuesday night Bible study last week, but the focus of it will be on this week's reading of the book of Exodus. So what we're trying to do is kind of give you the big picture of Scripture and each section of Scripture that, so that when you open your Bible, just, you know, I don't know, Terry, on a Wednesday, um, you know where you are, you know what's generally going on, you know uh, how to sort of place yourself in that portion of Scripture and understand what God's trying to say to you. And to that extent, that's really what the Tuesday night Bible study is trying to help you do, that, that we read a section of the Bible, we try to understand where am I in this, in this passage, in this story, in this text, and then where is the gospel? How does this passage lead me to the foot of the cross where I see the love of my Savior? And so that's what we're trying to do. That's kind of the whole endeavor that we're in in this season of hope. And I encourage you to, to participate, zoom in, be a part of that. Um, several other things going on around here that uh, you should know about. We're going to try to take down the nativity scene after church today. If a couple of you can stick around and help me knock some uh, stakes out of the ground, etc., that'd be great. Um, and then we have our men's smoke meeting this Friday night at 7 right here and we'll meet outside it'll be socially distanced enough and outside and should be relatively safe uh, for us to gather those have been uh, impressively meaningful of late and so we encourage you to uh, come and be a part of that if you are available our women are getting together on Saturday January the 30th at 9 a.m. here and they'll be in the family room spread out and socially distanced uh, safe manner, but they'll be crafting together and talking together and enjoying fellowship in that context. So um, a couple things you can come and actually participate with other human beings in the same vicinity. It's, it's amazing. Uh, but we think we, we have it set up so that'll be safe for everyone who chooses to come. encourage you to do so. Um, all right. What am I forgetting? I think we're good. Uh, we'll, we'll resume youth group soon. That's all I know at this point. Yeah. We'll, I'll get you the details once we have them figured out. Um, and I'm going to remember to ask Jimmy, like, when he thinks the beehive should be set up. Yeah. All right. I'm going to remember to ask you that at some point. All right, you'll remember to tell me when I ask. Um, All right. Uh, 
Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the freedom to gather and to worship you as you have called us to do. And we pray that as we come together in your name today, uh, here in, in person and virtually, that your spirit will be with us, that you will inhabit our praises, and that you will be at work through the ministry of your word in our hearts. And to that end, uh, we open ourselves to you as we open your word, and we pray that you would not only speak to us, but that you would grow us and change us into the men and women of God that you created us to be. That you would then work through us to shine your light and shed your grace onto the hearts of those around us. And Lord, we acknowledge as we come before your holy word that we are not holy, that we are in fact sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. And we thank you for what you have provided for us to that end uh, through the gift of your son and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And we thank you for that hope and that grace and that peace that we have because of what he's done for us. And Lord, as we turn our hearts towards you uh, this morning, we just lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We lift up those who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses. We think especially of our founding member, uh, Linda Harmon, uh, in Indiana, as she is uh, on uh, an incubator, or a, she's intubated on a respirator um, due to complications from COVID-19. And we just pray your healing mercies upon her. We pray your peace and grace over her family as they pray and wait and we just lift her to you this morning. We lift our sister Linda Harris before you as she continues her battle with cancer. And we just pray your healing mercies over her in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift before you um, Rose Evans and her family as her mother is, uh, they're told, in the last stages of life. And uh, we just pray your grace over her and her family as they wade through these final days together. Lord, we lift to you those in our midst who grieve. We think of Sherry Kopp and the loss of her nephew, and we pray your peace over her. We lift up Sherry Carrero and the loss of her brother, and we just pray uh, your grace and peace over her and over their extended family. Um, and Lord, we lift up all of those among us who are grieving in this season, and we just pray your peace over those who are in need of it, which would be all of us. Um, Father, we thank you for the freedoms we enjoy as Americans, and we pray for this country. We pray for unity and peace where it is needed. We pray that you would use us to be voices of reason and peace and grace in these uh, tumultuous times. We lift up our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend our Constitution, and we pray your grace over them and their families. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We pray you'd be with their families as they are separated from one another, and find ways to minister your grace and peace to those hearts. And Lord, we 
lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of the churches that we are connected to through our denomination, uh, and we just pray that you would be with each of those churches this morning as they uh, glorify you through worship. We lift up those church plants that we are connected to in the state of Texas. We think of uh, Nathan Cotton and Katie and Brett Becker in New Braunfels and Christian Kreider in Austin, and we just pray your your uh, grace over those new works in those places. We lift up our missionaries around the world whom we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Kamahuani and Havana, Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East, and we just pray that you would use those servants in those places to shine your light and show your love. Do the same in our midst. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are uh, in the midst of a series of messages that is going to, we're going to literally run through the Bible this semester. Um, we are starting in Genesis, and we are going to sort of bounce our way through the Old Testament up until right before Easter, and then that week we will, we will start looking at the New Testament, and uh, then we will follow that all the way up to uh, the report from our youth group of their blueprint mission trip, and then we will start our youth summer sermon series called The Hive. So that's the plan, but what we're doing in, in this series is we're just stopping in, in sort of all the key places throughout the Old Testament each week, and we're going to try to give you some idea of the big picture, not just of all of Scripture, but of each portion and section of Scripture so that uh, you can read your Bible not just more intelligently, uh, but in a more engaged way. So <clears throat> last week we looked at the book of Genesis, and we looked at, at four events in which the promise of God was demonstrated to his people, creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And then we looked at one family, the way that God's promise was distilled down to one family through Abraham and then extended out to all nations. Um, that was God's promise to Abraham that we looked at last week, that all nations would be blessed through him. And thereby uh, we saw the promise get sort of narrowed down to one man and then, it, and then sort of extended out to all men, all, all of mankind. And so we're going to see a similar pattern today uh, as we look at the book of Exodus, which you, you may remember, uh, if you were here last week, you, we ended with Israel, uh, the people of Israel going to Egypt, and then that gets complicated. They become enslaved by Pharaoh uh, over time. And then they are oppressed, and they cry out, and God raises up Moses. And you probably know that story if you've seen the Disney film, Prince of Egypt. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but that's the story we're going to look at today. And so the, the single thread that we are sort of watching connect all of Scripture is the promise of God for a Redeemer. The promise of God to, to provide an atonement for our sins through one man, Jesus Christ. And so we've, we've looked at that promise in the book of Genesis. Today we're going to look at that promise in the book of Exodus. And so it's, it's one promise that, that runs all the way through Scripture. And this is this week's 
uh, installment, if you will. So we're going to look at uh, this idea of how the promise is manifested in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the story of God's people coming out of bondage and into uh, his grace. Um, It is also equally the story of of the, the promise of God providing identity. And that's the aspect I want us to look at today, is the way in which God's word, God's promise, God's Messiah, God's son, gives us an identity as a people. So what I would like us to do, we're just going to kind of bounce through the book of Exodus today, um, and I'm going to begin in chapter 1, and we're going to just take a look at... um, the way that God's promise comes down to one man. And it's important to just point that out, that it comes down to one person because ultimately his promise will come down to the one person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at the way in which God keeps doing this. He keeps talking about a nation or all nations, and then he brings the promise down to one person. So the first aspect, we're going to look at, just an overview of Exodus chapters 1 through 18, and we're looking at how the promise comes to God's people through one man. First of all, God's faithfulness is demonstrated in the book of Exodus. His faithfulness to his promise, excuse me, is demonstrated in this book to overcome evil. There is always evil in the world. There is always Uh, forces of evil besetting the will of God, the progress of the gospel, the the growth of good in our own hearts. And here, and and you know the story, but I'm just going to read one verse from Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So here's what's going on. The people of Israel are growing in number under slavery in Egypt. They're prospering, they're growing, they're uh, doing what God told them to do in the book of Genesis to fill the earth. And so here they are, and Pharaoh looks up and he's like, pretty soon our slaves are going to outnumber us. We need to do something about this. And so he implements a policy of of infanticide against all the males that are born to the Hebrews. And this is intended to reduce the future fighting capacity of his slave population. That's directly what it's aimed at, to weaken their power uh, to resist. And so he issues this decree, and of course the, the midwives ignore him, and God's people continue to propagate and grow, Um, and we are reminded shortly thereafter in chapter 2 that God listens to his people and remembers his promise. The people of God are being oppressed by Pharaoh, their their labor is being doubled and then tripled, and uh, their materials are being reduced and they're expected to do more, and they cry out to God, and God hears their cry. Uh, Exodus 2, starting in verse the second half of verse 23 and reading through verse 25. Um, 
the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and knew. And, you know, the, the New Testament tells us that we, as God's people, are the bride of Christ. And as I, as I read these words, it struck me that I think, I think every bride, us corporately or any individual bride, this really speaks to, to, the, to the desire of her heart to be heard, to be known, to be remembered. And in, in fact, um, the, in the Hebrew, one of the words used for husbands is the word, the, the one who remembers. Like he remembers his wife, who she is, what she needs, what she desires. And this is an image of God as the one who remembers, as, as the husband of his church, the one who listens and responds and has compassion and comes to us in response to our cry for help. This is the God we serve. This book opens up and reveals the identity of the God we serve. And then we go into here, um, I'm going to take us down to verse chapter 3, where we see that God includes the unworthy in his promise. His promise isn't just for the perfect people who have it all together, but in fact, his promise is for people who are really messed up and uh, sinful. So here we go. Um, This is God talking to Moses in the book of Exodus uh, from the burning bush, the famous story. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, no, no. I don't think you did a very good job of reviewing applications because, A, I didn't send mine in. B, if I did, it wouldn't look very good. Uh, If you may remember, I killed someone uh, right outside of Pharaoh's front door, and I had to flee Egypt for my life. And so maybe I'm not your guy. And and Moses does this multiple times, his response to God. God's telling him these great things that God's going to do through him. And Moses is like, I stutter. I'm not a good speaker. Um, You don't want me. I'm not your guy. He just continues to come back to God and say, I don't think you're very smart. Um, So this idea that God chooses and uses the unworthy to accomplish his will, um, it's beautifully expressed in this book. Then we get... Just a few verses later in chapter 3, we see that God reveals more of his identity through the promise. He's talking to Moses, again, from the burning bush, and Moses has objected again and said, but uh, if I go and tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go, his entire workforce to let him go, um, he's not going to believe me. The people of Israel aren't going to believe. Like, who do I tell them that I represent? And here is God's response in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Come, 
I will send, nope, sorry, did I already read that one? I already read that one. Yes? All right, so here we go. 314, excuse me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God reveals not only his name to Moses, but the, the essence of his character. That he is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be. Um, Moses is coming out of a context in, in Egyptian and Mesopotamian culture where gods are almost always created. And a lot of times they're created in really sick and weird ways. Um, and you probably remember your, your ninth grade mythology, you know, your ninth grade English class, you had to read all this mythology stuff, and they talked about gods um, procreating with each other and with humans and whatever. And so in, in the context of polytheism, that just means a con where there's lots and lots of gods, there are almost entirely gods who, who at some point in the past did not exist. They have, a, they have a birth story. The God itself has a birth story. This God has no birth story. He, he is. He always has been. He is now, and he always will be. The identity of the God who's calling Moses is fundamentally different from any other God that anyone else in his world would have ever heard of. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe who was never himself created. And Moses is given this absolutely stunning revelation as to the nature of the God who is calling him. And then we are reminded just a few chapters later that God uses the ungodly to keep his promises, or to keep his promise singular, excuse me. Um, God is engaged with Pharaoh to release the people of Israel, and Pharaoh resists, and you have probably heard of the ten plagues. I'm not going to try to name them all, but some of them are just nasty. I think it begins with him turning the water of the Nile River into blood, and then there's gnats and flies and frogs, and it all makes sense. But, uh, and then all the livestock die. And during these first five plagues, you hear that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God's desire for him to let the people of Israel go. After the fifth plague, the language changes in Scripture, and it's God who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And it's, it's, it's almost like, okay, you hardened your heart against me five times, Hold, hold my beer and watch this. Um, I'm going to harden your heart against me five times. Like you had your turn, you took five turns, now it's my turn. And God is, is basically going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most powerful entity in the world in this time period. And he prevails because, well, he's the God who always was who is and who always will be. And so the ten plagues play out 
uh, we hear in Exodus chapter 11, the second half of verse 10, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. And then after that, there will be the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is particularly personal because it's going to take the firstborn from every family. And including Pharaoh's family all the way down to the lowest class family. And in doing this, God is, is both demonstrating something and setting something up. And in the promise of this 10th plague, God tells Moses, Take, tell your people, every family in Israel, to take a lamb, to sacrifice it, to take uh, some leaves from a plant and dip it in the blood and paint the doorpost of your home with that blood. And when you have taken the blood of the lamb and applied it to your home, you will be saved from the tenth plague. It will not come to you. And we have this incredible identity-giving event in the life of the people of Israel where we see that God brings about his promise through blood. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So I want you to be, I want you to see that God is is responding to Pharaoh's power and strength in kind. He is speaking the language of Pharaoh. Pharaoh fears the growth of the people of Israel. And he says, I'm going to kill all their, all their male children, babies. And God turns around and says in the 10th plague, okay, this all started with you killing babies. It's my turn. And I'm going to speak to you in terms you cannot possibly deny. I'm going to use your own idea against you. And I'm going to demonstrate that I'm the God of God, the Lord of Lords. And he he even says in the passage, I am the I am in verse 12, the end of it. I am when he says Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, that's an abbreviation for the name that he gave Moses in chapter 3, I am. So he says, I am the I am. I am the God who always was, who is, and who always will be. And I'm going to demonstrate to you the power of my name. And so God uses blood to bring about the promise that he had extended to his people. And he preserves that promise through water. And these are all, these are all aspects of the promise that we're going to see repeated again and again throughout Scripture until we get to Christ, who who delivers the promise of God, who fulfills the promise of God through blood 
and through water. But we'll talk about that a little later. That God preserves his promise through water is seen in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. I encourage you to go read that. Moses is brought out of the water. Um, and then again in Exodus 14, verse 22, where it says, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So Pharaoh, finally after the tenth plague, lets God's people go, and then he changes his mind, and he pursues them with his army. And they have camped on the shore of the Red Sea, and they're in trouble because the army is coming and they have nowhere to go. God tells Moses, lift up your hands, open up the sea, and let, your, let my people go through the Red Sea. And so God's people proceed through that sea. They are brought to the fulfillment of God's promise through the water. In so doing, God then um, takes the pursuing Egyptian army, the most powerful military force on the planet at that time, uh, although I don't really know what's going on in China at this point. They could have had a bigger army. I don't know. Um, but here come the Egyptian military machine and God closes the waters of the Red Sea upon them and literally removes Pharaoh and the strongest military force in the world as a threat to his people. Can I just ask you, if God can do that for his people, what are you worried about? Or maybe the question for me is, why do I worry? Why do I try to take matters into my own hands? Why do I uh, feel like I need to do something about my condition before I wait and pray and let God work? Because this is the God who can remove whatever your deepest, greatest fear might be. He's got this. He's always been. He is now, and he always will be. You have a window into the identity of your creator. And he is powerful, he listens, he cares, he responds, he's compassionate. But he's also fearless and strong and able and has demonstrated himself to be able, capable of overcoming our darkest fears. Then, of course, the people of Israel are just like me. If I'm trying to find myself in this story, here I am, chapter 16. It gets ugly. But we are reminded here that God keeps his promise to the undeserving. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They literally said things like, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had pots full of meat in our slavery, <laughs> in our oppression, where they were killing our babies. Why did you take us out of that place? We had food to eat, water to drink. And then, of course, God provides water, quail, manna for them, for his people. 
who are grumbling against him and his leader. <laughs> wow. God's promise is only extended to the undeserving. If, if you ever feel as though you deserve the grace of God, come talk to me. We, we need to talk. Um, that's not okay. And that's the message. That's, that's part of the nature of this promise. That it really only comes to the undeserving. So the second half of the book of Exodus is what happens after God brings his people through the waters of the Red Sea. We see that the promise that came through one man now forms one people. That, that what the one man was able to bring about by God working through him to fulfill his promise changes the nature of an entire people. The promise gives us, God's people, a moral identity. That is, his law that he will give to Moses will tell us what right and wrong really are. Exodus 24, 12, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. That we can take from the law of God an understanding of, of who we are, of what right is and what wrong is and what my relationship is to right and wrong. That my heart that is redeemed by the gospel desires to be right, right with God, right with others, right with the world. But that that same heart is also struggling to manifest what is right in midst of its own desires which are not right, they're wrong, they're selfish, they're immoral. And God gives his law to define for us who we are. The promise gives us a moral identity. The promise of God gives us a cultural identity. I love the fact that, well, I'll just read the verse, Exodus 23, 14. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. So God, God literally builds into the fabric of this nation who's just left Egypt three parties a year that are like holistic. Everyone must stop. Everyone must celebrate. Everyone must feast. Um, this is a good God. This is a good God who understands our hearts, our nature, our needs, and who says, whatever you're doing, whatever... Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're grieving, whatever you're fearing, just stop and celebrate. Um, we, as God's people, need to be able to do this. We need to be able to lift our heads and say thank you and to praise him and worship him. The promise of God gives the people of God a moral identity, a cultural identity, and a spiritual identity. Exodus 19, verse 6, the first portion. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are remarkable words to a, a, a group of people that aren't very 
religious. They're not very spiritual. I mean, think about it. They've been enslaved in the context, the spiritual context of deep paganism, like polytheism. There's gods under every rock. There's a different one, and you got to do something or that God will get you. And here they come through the waters into this new identity, and they learn that there's, there's a law that defines for them what right and wrong is, that there's a God who calls them to have a culture and an identity and who has a spiritual identity for them that each one of them is a priest. And so here they come into this new identity. Then Exodus chapter 30, verse 45, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. So one of the instructions that God gave to Moses was to build this thing called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was just like this mobile uh, kind of worship space. And there was an altar, which was just a big grill. That's literally what it was. I want to be one of those Levites. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> there, was a, there was the altar, and then there was the tent of meeting. And inside the tent of meeting, in the back, behind a curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant. This was a, a wooden box that was covered in gold, and it had basically a throne on top of it. Not a kind of a weird throne, but a, but a throne. And the throne was simply, a, a person, actually the way the throne was designed, a person could not sit there. There were, there, there were two beings that had their wings spread out over the seat. And it was the throne, the seat of God in the midst of his people. And when that tabernacle was consecrated, the tower, the pillar of smoke that represented, the pillar of cloud that represented the presence of God came and rested over the tabernacle. As if to say, I am with you. I don't care what you're feeling. I don't care what you're fearing. I don't, I don't care what you think, what you, how well you behave. I don't care. I mean, I care. But I want you to know in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, I am with you. That is, the I am is with you. The one who always was, the one who is now, the one who always will be is in the midst of you. He's here. He's alive. He's present. And so this second half of the book of Exodus is really about giving God's people an identity, a lasting identity, as they come out of a culture where they really had no identity. They were only uh, sort of existing in this world of, that belonged to the identity of Egypt. And here they are brought out and renewed and, and defined in a new way as to who we are. So it's important as we go through this series that every place we stop, we look forward to the ways in which these passages point to the cross. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to just sort of look at how the promise of God is fulfilled by Christ. So let's just take a look at this idea of the promise coming through water and blood. Christ fulfills the promise through water and and blood. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, the first half of verse 6, says specifically that. This is he who came by water 
and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and blood. That is, that he came out of the waters of baptism just like we did. He was, when God's people in the book of Exodus finish this journey and enter the promised land, they come through the Jordan River, God parts that water too. And they come into the promised land. Jesus is baptized in that river. That's where he enters into the waters of baptism. And so we have a Savior who fulfills the promise. When he is baptized in the Jordan River, it's him, it's God screaming, I am. I always have been, I am now, and I always will be with you. And my promise is fulfilled here in this one man. And so Jesus fulfills the promise through water and blood, and he fulfills the promise through the blood or by the blood of a lamb. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, second half of verse 6, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. When his blood is applied to the doorpost of your heart, the angel of death passes over. You are forgiven. You are free. You are loved. You are redeemed. And we see in Jesus the fulfillment of the entire Passover story, that he offers himself as the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of our sins. The promise of Christ is fulfilled through water and blood by the blood of a, of a lamb and in the death of one man, a firstborn son. Revelation 1, chap, chapter 1, verse 4, second half through verse 6. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It, it just blows me away that thousands of years before the Messiah is born, God is setting up in, in his relationship to his people the very aspects of his identity and their identity which will be brought together through his firstborn son and his sacrifice on the cross as the Lamb of God. That we, you, I, are the focal points of all of this redemptive history. It just comes shooting out of the past like an arrow into my heart. And I, I hope also into yours. Piercing to where I don't necessarily want God to go, revealing what I don't want to reveal, redeeming what I don't want to let go of, which is my own sin. I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy, I'm a mess. 
And this God has been deadly accurate for millennia upon millennia at delivering his grace to the human heart. He always has been. He is now. And he always will be. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word. At the ways in which you weave history itself towards the fulfillment of your promise to your people. To bring forth the Passover lamb, our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the most unlikely of births, where he himself was threatened by a local ruler to be snuffed out as a baby, where you overcame the intents of evil to bring about your will, that our unworthy and unholy hearts could be redeemed, could be restored into right relationship with you, where we could have hope and life and love eternal because you are the God who always was, who is now, and who always will be. To your glory, in the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. I'm